As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer with The Athletic, and I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves Magnifico reliever. What's up, Eric? Not much, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Well, we're coming down to September. we got a month left, and this series is as close as we anticipated it would be a few months ago. Maybe closer. I know some people have doubts about whether the Braves would be able to catch the Mets. They haven't caught them, but they're one game behind. And my only uh, my only reluctance in saying they're going to catch them is the Mets series. Uh, the Mets uh, schedule is so soft in the next few weeks, whereas the Braves have got some tough opponents. If they had an equal schedule the rest of the way, I would definitely take the Braves right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it, honestly one game might as well be none. Two games might right. as well be none. Exactly, yeah, especially since they played three head to head at the end. Yeah. There's no comfort in their position at this point. So I think the Braves have done a great job of, of fighting and putting that pressure on them and, and giving a chance for that pressure and a collapse to be there. You know, I mean, the Mets have earned their position where they're at this year. They've, they've played great baseball, but getting to that point where you can now put that pressure on them and they have to look in the rearview mirror and think, we can't blow this thing. You know, and if, if they adapt the wrong mindset, they could easily fall apart. And so the Braves have done their job of, of putting that pressure on the Mets up to this point. And they also have to wonder, because Scherzer right now is out. And and you got to wonder, they got to wonder if if we do win the thing, is Scherzer and DeGrom both going to be healthy? Because they're always just a pitch away from, especially Scherzer at his age, is a pitch away from the side hurting, from anything hurting. You just, there's no way for them to know to feel really confident that he's going to be there. And you could say, yeah, he's Max Scherzer. When it's nut-cutting time, he's going to be in there. But what happened last postseason? You well, know, that's because Braves. that's you know how he built that reputation was being in there at nut-cutting right. time for so long when he shouldn't have been. And then eventually – Catches up with you. Yeah. I mean, you can't do that forever. And right. so I think that it's a combo now of him saying – I can't. He's he's feeling the he's feeling the pain of doing that for those years that he did it, where he pushed through and pitched, and you know probably just took a toradol shot or whatever he had to do to go out right. there. And now all this shit's catching up with him, and he's got to make decisions now because he's realizing I can't just 
you know, nobody, it's, it's not about mental toughness at this point. My body's going to break. Ham, Kershaw, Verlander. You marvel at all of them, what they did yep. most of the season. And then here we are. And, and Father Time never loses, man. They're all in their late 30s. And all of them right now, <laughs> Kershaw are in, Kershaw's back, but he just was out for the second or third time this year. Verlander's out for the second time. It's nothing serious. But again, he feel, they, they feel, like you said, they're not young. They can't just power through it. They know mm-hmm. if they don't shut it down, it's going to be shut down for the for the rest of the season. Yeah. So Verlander, I mean, he didn't even look hurt the other day when he walked off. He had the calf strain. He wasn't even limping, but he felt it, and he knew it was there. And if he kept pitching, it's not like when he's 25 or 30, you know, when you're almost when you're closer to 40 than 35. Yeah. That stuff's really relevant. you got to be smart about it, and they know. So, you know. Charlie Morton has been really lucky in that regard because this that dude keeps himself. He's coming back from a broken leg, and he really has kept himself healthy all year. And 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 his mechanics are so smooth, you can see why. Yeah, and I, for me, I think with Charlie, it's just uh, he's just lined up to be healthy. You know, yeah. he did, he really hasn't had a lot of health. Tr- I mean, he got hit with a line right. drive. What are you gonna do about that? But right. there's other guys. You know, maybe. Scherzer would have been out of the game at 31, 32, the way how violent his delivery was. And he's worked his ass off to get to the point he's at. But the work can only take you so far. Yeah. And then you start realizing, hey, I did everything right and I still got this sides pulling or this is this is tweaked and haven't been through a few injuries at that point. If I push this, I might miss the playoffs. So there's always stuff like that that these guys are playing. But, uh, you know, it's it takes so much hard work to get to the point where Scherzer, Kershaw – um, even DeGrom, what he's kind of battled back through. But all these guys that we're talking about, it takes so much hard work to get to the point of even having the opportunity to push through these things and maybe get try not to get injured. Yeah, the uh, the Mets, like I said, they got the, they got the easiest schedule from here out, and it's really not even close percentage-wise. They're games against uh, losing teams. Um. If you look at the power rankings this week, the the, uh, the athletics power rankings, the NL East has three of the top eleven teams in that in the rankings. They got the Bra- uh, Mets at three, Braves at four, Phillies at eleven, and I Where saw MLB, at? and MLB.com had had the Mets at three or the Braves at three and the Mets at four. So it's really close. Obviously, one game separating them, and the Braves are healthy and playing really well right now. What'd you say? Why are the Phillies in that? Well, they were playing really well. They lost. They had. A, they stumbled a little bit, but uh, I mean, at eleven. I think they're pretty deserving of that. They've played really well, and they just got Harper back. So, yeah, that's true. I forgot he was back. You know, they got the they got the two starters. They got you know. Improved. Yeah, they're going to be in the wild card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to make. They're going to be in the wild card. Um, they got them. Uh, let's see. In the power rankings, we got. Well, the Braves, the Braves have got this road trip starting tonight in Oakland. You're talking about eight games, and you know the West Coast was always rough for the Braves. But the last yeah. couple of years, or last year, they kind of changed that narrative a little bit. They struggled out there this year at the start of the season against the Dodgers, obviously. But uh, last year they had a good road trip, and this time only one of the teams they're facing is good, and and it's the Mariners. Just kind of reversed of what it's been in the past, but. They got two against the A's, who are 29th in, in the power rankings, ahead of only the Nationals. Two against the A's, 
three at Seattle. And you know very well how good Seattle is right now. And they got a superstar rookie of the year. You're talking about uh, the AL and NL rookies of the year in this in this series. Yeah. Whether that's going to be uh, whether it's going to be Rodriguez for Seattle, but whether that's going to be uh, Harris or Strider for the Braves, I think it'll be Harris. I don't think it'll be really close. But Strider, if he keeps having more games like he had the other day, he might make it closer. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to take is a few more just ridiculous outings and some. You know, if he has uh, how many starts he got left four. Five. Yeah. yeah. So if he has if he has two or three ridiculous starts and two or three that are decent, those ridiculous ones could just get him kind of the attention he deserves. But uh, for me, it's just the everyday players got to get it. And Str- and uh, Harris, after going through a little bit of a lull for a couple of weeks, is hot again, yeah. man. He just had three hit game with two ribbies again with the late. And I think people are going to notice his. Performance in late and close situations. It's is a ri- joke. Is it is ridiculous? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you're waiting for it to end, and he just keeps doing yeah, it. Yeah, just keeps doing it. So he's hitting 309 with a what an 890 OPS. I mean, we're 90 games. He's at 90 games in now. That's insane, man. This kid, you know, you're talking about with 16 stolen bases. He finally got caught for the first time Sunday. Uh, 15 home runs. I mean, he's doing this from the number nine spot mainly. He's moved up in the order some now. But uh, he's just doing everything while playing gold glove defense. Yeah. I mean, it's he is he is very deserving of the rookie of the year, obviously. And the only guy I could even see giving him any competition is would be Strider. Yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a good series in Seattle. Um, after the two games in Oakland. Seattle's got a hell of a rotation that people on the East Coast really don't know much about. I don't know anything about it either because I'm blacked out. Well, like Robbie Ray for one, but they got a good yeah. they, got, they, they got a good rotation, man. He and started off Robbie Ray started off slow, but he's turned it on the last couple months. Yeah, they got a good team. Um, but they got and even though they got two against the A's, so everybody's just thinking, okay, they'll sweep those, and then they should win two out of three against Seattle at least, and then maybe they can win two out of three or sweep the Giants. It usually isn't that easy if if you look no. on paper and it says that. But um, even though they're facing the A's and the A's are terrible. The A's have got Cole Irvin going tonight. He's got a three three five ERA, seven yeah. and eleven, but that's because of shoddy run support, yeah. crappy defense, probably. But he's got a three three five ERA, so that's that's a good matchup tonight with him and Kyle Wright. With Kyle, yeah, probably, I bet it's going to be the smallest crowd they play in front of all year. Oh, the Braves, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure it will be, especially on a on a what a Tuesday night Tuesday out there. Tuesday night, and it had a heat wave out there for them. It's a heat wave. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be the first time the Braves have played. Probably, they've had a couple small ones in uh, Miami that yeah. were under fifteen, but that'll be the only one comparable. Something this, about that stadium, though, it's just like it's loud and it, it's weird noise in there. You know, it's just, there's always they have that Clevelander bar making noise out in left field. Like Oakland, all you hear is the drum. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's annoying, annoying yeah. crowd, annoying uh, noise at Miami with that roof shut. The yeah. music is really loud and it just bounces off that roof Echoing. when it's not many people there. Yeah, it's a it's a very unique environment there. Yeah. Uh, but the Braves have played really well since they opened that dome. Um the Mariners are up to eight in our power rankings. They were eleven last week. They're hot, man. Yeah, they got- they've been playing really well. And the city's gonna jump behind them too, because they've been waiting since two thousand one was the last time they made the playoffs. And yeah. if they wind up if they could snatch home field for the wild card, 
that stadium is going to explode. Great environment. Yeah. It'll be awesome. And it's funny because uh, the uh, A's are 29th in the power rankings this week. They're ahead of only the Nationals. Did you see what the Nationals just did? We talked about in baseball, any team on any given day can beat any other team. The Nationals just won two from the Mets Saturday and Sunday and then beat the Cardinals on Monday. They outscored those three teams, playoff teams, obviously, division leaders, 20-2 to two in those three games, the Nationals. <laughs> I mean, back-to-back 7-1 wins against the, New York, against the Mets in New York and then a 6-0 shutout against the Cardinals. That's why it's so stupid we had a wild card game. A single game set. Exactly. Ridiculous. Because teams like that could you could have you could have had a, a one game wild card game where you spin a, a roulette wheel with all the teams' names on it. Yep. You just let a random team in yep. against a team that won ninety games and they might get through. It has hey, to I, be a three game set at least. The Nats out hit the Mets in those two games twenty five to ten. I mean, wow. who saw that coming? So um by the way, I was just looking at I was looking at Gwinnett's game notes today, pregame notes, Triple A Gwinnett. Ch- dude, check out how ba- how good their rotation has become all of a sudden. The next five games, they've got Kyle Muller, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, Bryce Elder, and Darius Vines is a really up and coming prospect. Really good arm. That's their five. The next five games. Dang, that's pretty how's, strong. How Soroka's last couple starts gone? That's a better I'm, rotation I'm than a few major league teams. How's Soroka? Well, how's Anderson been looking? Down uh, there? Not good. Ian gave up 19 hits in two games. Some of them were soft contact. wasn't a lot of runs, and the second one was nine nine hits, but only like two runs. But a lot of hits. Which, That's hard to do. Which you know, some of those maybe in the big leagues aren't hits. You know, but uh, with the better defense and the shifts and all that. But yeah, that's a lot of hits. 19 hits. That's a lot of hits. Ten hits and nine hits. In a total of like uh, 11 innings, 19 hits. Soroka bounced back from that third start, second at Gwinnett, with a really good one in four before the rain. He was really cruising through four innings. Had some stri- had five strikeouts, had a really good start going. So that was really encouraging. And they didn't send him back out after the rain? No, they, they ended up suspending the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he didn't go – they didn't finish the game, so – so that counts as one of his starts. That probably sets back the timetable a little bit, if there is a timetable, you know, because they want to build him slowly. And he obviously didn't get – he was supposed to go to uh, uh, 90 pitches in that one, but didn't get anywhere near that, obviously, because uh, he would have gone six, seven innings at least if uh, if he kept going. So so we'll see. Uh, his next one is, uh, like I said, not today. Today's Tuesday. His next one would be Thursday. So – I wonder if they if they think about using him. Well, he can't. Can he? What are the rules for him to be on the playoff roster? Is it just forty man? You have to be on the active. No, he's eligible. He's eligible. It's anybody on the forty or the sixty day IL. Oh, okay. I yeah, wonder so if they think about using him in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, if he really came on strong in his next few yeah. starts, but the problem is their their starters are throwing really well. Yeah. Especially Odorizzi had the two really good starts before he got scratched the other day, which was arm fatigue, you know, kind of like uh, uh, Kyle had when he when they were able to pass him up, which they can do right now because they've got guys like Elder came up and pitched really well against Miami again. Yeah, really good time to give Odorizzi some rest because Elder against that Miami lineup, 
I mean, literally, he's facing as good a hitters in some of these AAA games as he's facing with the Marlins right now. Or really close. That yeah. is a terrible lineup right now with the Marlins. They got good <laughs> pitching. Really good pitching. So they're in all yeah. these one-run games because their pitching is damn good. Yeah. But they're hidden right now. Their lineup is is as bad as it gets, man. Their lineup is far worse than the Nationals. I just wonder what like a what a Marlins fan feels like. <laughs> you know, like Well, you know, their guy's hurt, the main guy. I mean, they've had, you know, injuries and so but uh, and they traded away a couple of guys at the deadline. So the one guys they had, but uh yeah, the, what they're left with, you know, Brian Anderson is, you know, then a bunch of just uh, borderline major leaguers. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The other day, I swear, I thought if the rain had not come, I thought Freed, this might have been the day Freed could have thrown a no-hitter. He really? got through He got through four, uh, or five rather, in 60, 62 pitches. I have to look at it again. But, dude, he was just cruising. I mean, it was not even any close. It was just soft contact. Had a bunch of strikeouts. They had a walk final in the fifth inning. He had a perfecto go until then. And I really oh, think yeah. he could have thrown a no-hitter in about 110 He had pitches. 66 pitches through five. It was absolutely man against boys. It was. Uh, I really think he, he would have thrown a no-hitter. Um, which, as somebody pointed out on my uh, um, in my story in the comments section, somebody made a good point. As much as you'd like to see a guy throw a no-hitter, it might end up being best for them because, you know, Snit, if he's up to around 85, 90 pitches after 80, he's sending them back out there. 
when you're that, you know, when you're, we got a no hitter going. Yeah. He could have easily thrown 110 to 15 pitches and got a no hitter. And that would have been like, if he'd thrown 115 pitches or whatever, that's the kind of thing that could, you know, with, with, with as careful as they are with pitch counts these days. I mean, you, in, in back in the day, that's nothing, 115. But right now, when they're pulling them out every time at 95, 100 pitches, 105, all of a sudden you go 115, 120 pitches. That uh, that that might have lingered for him as we I've get into of, September, late in the season in September. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think almost every manager starts getting to that sixth and seventh inning, and their guy's got a no hitter going, and he gives up like a bloop single with two outs. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's a sense of relief. Relief, yeah, relief. You know, maybe not if it's just a crusty vet that when he's you know he's like maybe his life. he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, but there are guys. No, I mean that, a pitcher. If it's a pitcher, you don't oh, care about oh, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you're not in it and. Oh, yeah, like Charlie Borden. They're going to let Charlie go. Yeah, or Bartolo. Say he makes a comeback and he's got a no-hitter in the eighth. They'll let Bartolo throw right. 250 pitches. But right. if it's like Freed or somebody you need, your ace, and you're going to the playoffs, yeah. I'm sure there's a sense of relief when something falls in in the sixth or seventh and they don't have to make that tough call. Yeah, because it's a tough call if it's in that borderline area. I mean, if he if he's got like 95 pitches going to the ninth inning, he's going to let him go out there. You have to. You know, Snit's going to do that. Now, if it's yeah. at 100, maybe. In the 7th. <laughs> if it's at 100 going in the ninth, then he's like, okay, we'll go batter to batter and we'll let him, we'll see if he can get three quick outs, you know. But if it's like 95, whatever, it's not even a, it's not even a close. He's going to let him yeah. go out. And then, and then you know, if the first couple of batters, all of a sudden you're up around 110, you got to leave him in. You're not going to take him out. So he could go 120 yeah. pitches. And they can and, walk two guys. Right. And for a guy that's been throwing 195 to 105 pitches to all of a sudden go 120, that's the kind of thing that could linger at this point in the season, especially where you can't really afford to rest him for a day, you know? Right. So there's good and bad, but that, that could have been that could have been the and the no hitter just doesn't mean as much anymore either. That's what I was gonna say. Let's face it. It doesn't. I mean, but an individual with no hitter, an individual no hitter, there aren't a whole lot of those anymore. It's just because nobody's getting allowed to go long enough. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't see – I think Kershaw got yanked this year without giving up any hits. Yes, he did. But for the most part, you don't really see pitchers get yanked out of the game. Well, you do because you'll see a guy at 90 pitches through six. Right. And no hits, <laughs> and the manager will just be like, there's no way we can leave you right. for this. there's no but way. We, yeah. We saw yeah. Ubaldo Jimenez do it. Ubaldo, I think, threw 140 against us, that no-hitter he threw against the Braves. Yeah. It didn't even feel impressive. We didn't even yeah. know there was a no-hitter going until like the eighth inning. Then we looked up, and somebody's like – Man, this guy's got a no hitter because yeah. it didn't feel impressive because he was grinding so hard to to get through the outing. Is a walker? It's a weird time, every man. In that regard, I mean, dude, I think back to the no hitter that uh, the AJ Burnett no hitter that I covered in San Diego. Nine walks and a hit batter. Nine walks. Oh my. Oh yeah, look it up. You're, you're like this guy threw like shit. We're in the sixth or seventh inning. It's West Coast game, obviously. We're sitting there. I'm, I'm sitting there eating popcorn, literally, because it's like there's no way I'm going to follow this game story. I'm going to miss deadline for. And we had much later deadlines then than they do now. But, but you know, it's a, it's a West Coast game, and you're not going to get it in. And but like sixth, seventh inning, I call the desk. I go, um, I don't think he's going to throw it because he's walking a ton of guys. But Eric, but but just so you know. Uh, AJ Burnett's got a no hitter going. They're like, okay, thanks for letting us know. We'll hold it. We'll hold it for now until until he gives up something. 
And then all of a sudden he started clicking outs really fast. And I'm going, oh, shit. And I'm going. He locked oh. in. Yeah. So I started hammering a story out going, this dude might do it. But because he walked a ton of guys early. If you look at it, yeah. he had like he had like two base runners on every inning in the first five or six innings. And he just kept getting out of it. And then the last two or three innings were like that. Quick. It was the strangest yeah. thing you've ever seen. And the amazing thing is when you hear nine walk, no hitter. You think, how many pitches did he throw, 145? He didn't. It was like 125 or 30 pitches with nine walks. So he was walking guys like 3-0, yeah. ball four, 3-1, ball four. And then four. getting quick contact on the other ones, you know. Getting some du- Must have got some double plays. Yeah, like I mean, I'd have to go back plays. and look at it on the number of, number of pitches. But it was under 130, I'm almost certain. I think it was like 125. Yeah, see, and I think that's where – I, I, you can't tell me there's a drastic difference between 100 and 110. You know, you can't tell oh, me there's a drastic difference between 90 and 100. But yeah. once you start adding in 30 pitch chunks, you know, and now you're talking, there's, you're from like 130 to 145. Edwin Jackson would, had to be somewhere in the 140 range in the one he threw in Tampa. And then you're talking that big of a gap. I can definitely say that if you get to that point, there's going to be a, there's going to be some hangover effect on your arm or like the one Johan threw. Right. And he was Which, never really the same. It was never the same again. Um, this yep. was, this was May 12th, 2001. It was the third Marlins no hitter. I covered them all. I had Al Leiter had one against Colorado. Kevin Brown had the most dominant no hitter. I've covered six or seven of them, including a combined Kevin Brown's at San Francisco at Candlestick Park was more dominant than the perfect game. I saw Randy Johnson throw against the Braves. Kevin Brown's no-hitter at, at Candlestick was the most dominant pitching performance I've ever seen, dude. All he did was hit a guy. That was it. Otherwise, it was perfect. And that was the year Kevin Brown had, like, impeccable control, but he led the NL and hit batters. He was yeah. nasty, man. Kevin Brown did not think twice about getting did he, a guy So did he plate. just smoke somebody early, not really knowing what kind of outing he was about to have? I think that one was, was might have been a guy didn't try to get out of the way because yeah. he knew. No, it wasn't early. It was like sixth inning or something. Might have been one of those where he didn't really try to get out of the way. I have to remember. I have to look back. But that was it. It was a candlestick. The wind was blowing. It was chilly. And he was just uh, – he had, you know, his his sinker, every hitter that year, you'd ask him after the game, an opposing hitter. And I don't know how many times it was described as like trying to hit a bowling ball. His sinker yeah. was the nastiest pitch God, what a year he had. But, yeah, it was, it was that was the most dominant one I saw. So I had the extremes from Randy Johnson's perfect game to A.J. Burnett's nine-walk no-hitter. But I'm, I'm looking it up right now. 129 pitches. And he struck out seven and walked nine and hit a batter. God, how long was the game? <laughs> That's insane, man. It was a 3-0 win. It was a 3-0 shutout. Yeah, walked was... nine and only gave up three runs. How do you do that? Wait, he he gave up three. No. I mean, no, no, he threw a shutout. Okay, gotcha. They up there. They, he threw a shutout. He walked nine and gave up no runs. How do you even no do runs. that? Yeah, double plays. <laughs> there had to be double plays. Sometimes the boss scores. Oh shows yeah, that, but yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, at the uh, game story from it. Let's see if there's a box score in it. But that was a memorable one because uh, John Henry owned the team at the time, right? And he used to come to all the games. John Henry was a big fan. He'd come to the games. He loved it. And his wife was at that series. He had his yacht docked in San Diego. That was the one place where 
he could take his yacht to the games in San Diego because he had a massive yacht and he couldn't even dock it in most places, right? Yeah. And he had a crew on it all the time. They had to keep its the sides cleaned. That was all. I had all this wood on it. It was a massive yacht. And uh, San Diego had a big enough marina that he could dock it there. So it was there during the series. He let us go out. He, he asked the riders out one day to come out to lunch on his yacht. It was pretty cool because <laughs> he had the team on the night before. And we're like, we didn't get invited. So he invited us the next day. <laughs> so anyway, his wife was like, okay. You guys a bone. His wife was like, "You're gonna? would you please take me out one night while we're here? So as much as he ate and missing the game, he said, okay, honey, we're going to go out on this night. We're going to chill. He went out to dinner with her that night. Was not at that game. He went to all the games. He was not at that one. And they're eating at some nice restaurant. And uh, he's like, this was before you got alerts on your phone and all that. But he's keeping up with the game somehow. I don't know what it, what it was. But uh, there's a no-hitter like in seventh inning. And he's, his wife knows there's a no-hitter. And he's like, he goes, finally asked, can I go? And she's like, yes, go. And he had his driver. It was at San Diego's Qualcomm Stadium, the old stadium, Jack Murphy Qualcomm. His driver flying out there to get him there. And he gets there in like the ninth inning. There's like one or two outs left. There was that, remember the massive parking lot around that stadium? I never went to that one. Oh, it was a massive parking lot around the stadium. Well, after like like whatever. Dodger Stadium. Yeah, and like what okay. after all those more like all those multi-purpose stadiums that weren't downtown, and after a certain point in the game, they put up that you could not get in; you could only get out. So his driver, his limo, gets there, and it, and he's like, "I'm John Henry. I own the team." And, and they're saying, "I'm sorry, sir, you can't go any further than this." He had to get out of the limo, and he's like jogging up to the stadium. It's like John Henry's, no way. yeah, he's like this little skinny guy, you know. And he jogs up to the stadium. He gets there. Right after the last out, he doesn't see any of the game. (laughs) (laughs) So he's all flustered afterwards and all that. But anyway, it was a memorable night. But anyway, getting back to where we were on, uh, on allowing guys to go, it's going to, it's, I don't know how we're going to see more individual nine hitters. That's just like you, what you said, older guys that they let go. Yeah. He would let Charlie go 120, 125. I'm sure if Charlie said, I'm okay. You know? But uh, I watched Scherzer throw one that was just like that was probably when you talk about the most dominant pitching performances I've ever seen. Yeah, it was maybe Linscombe in the playoffs against us in 2010. Yeah, Yeah, that was or Scherzer in 2015. It was I think it was the last game of the season. He threw a no hitter and it was almost a perfect game. And he just you knew after the second inning we might not get a hit today. Just the way he was walking around the mound. And I think we threw our B squad because we clinched already. Right, right. So it was just a matchup where it's like. These guys don't have a shot. I, the Marlins have not been no hit this year, have they? I, they? I they will be, I think, before it's over. It might be a combined one, but I think they will be. That team is so bad. That lineup is so bad right now. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So this is a big road trip for the Braves, obviously, because they need to take advantage of Oakland and the Giants. Right now, are one one time where they're really bad. Right now, the Giants are pretty bad. They're always better in that part and against the Braves they'll be jacked up but they just don't have much right now and they're and they're uh this is the time where the Braves could go in there expecting to win the series yeah. you know and that's rare whether they go in there it's been a while but uh that you know realistically they should win you know if they they should be happy winning two out of three against Seattle if they can do that but they should you know win two games at Oakland if you win two out of three at San Francisco I mean, you'd be thrilled with a six and two trip, or you should be. But they should five and four, still a good trip. 
But yeah, uh, just a winning road trip on the uh, West Coast anytime you do it. I mean, I know it's well, not it's eight games, so we have yeah five and three. I mean, five and three would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I that's mean, what you, they probably should aim for. But Seattle's tough. They're tough. Yeah, and San Francisco and Oakland are just difficult parks to play in in their own way. Yeah, uh, it's it's colder weather. You're not used to it. Uh, it's yeah, shitty bullpens. So yeah. I think uh, even in San Francisco, the thing that always tripped me out was you had the right field foul line running right through the lane of where you were throwing and it just, it messes with your angles. And then you got all these fans sitting here and fans can talk to you like me and you were talking right now Yeah, and you're trying to warm up. So you get yeah. young relievers going in there. They don't know how to really either yeah. talk shit back to the fans or just like completely the, zone it out. Like but it used guy, to be at Wrigley. Yep. The guys get rattled in those stadiums and open is the same way and they'll ride you hard. And it's, same thing. It's cold. It's it's just you don't feel good pitching there. Hopefully, um, oh, well, right now they're having a heat wave, so that that'll help. Yeah, that'll that help. They'll help. feel a lot more like home. Olson yeah. should be able to help some guys, you know. Yeah, and he certainly will be able to handle that foul territory because he played there a long time and made a lot yep. of catches in there. So they got that going for him. I'm interested to see what he'll do there. I mean, he loves hitting there, obviously. But uh, they actually yeah. they're on one of the roughest bullpen warm up trips possible because Safeco's the exact same way. Yeah, Safeco used to have parks? a net. Safeco used to have a net between you, and now that's wide open. I mean, the fans could reach out and – Like at Wrigley used to be. They could matumbo your throw, mid-throw, when you're warming up in the pen. They could actually reach out and slap the ball out of your hands. It's And it's that is right crazy, there. man. Yeah. Did they just build it like that because the footprint, they had the space available when they built Seattle's ballpark? Yeah, it's just – it's part of the layout. I mean, it's it's really cool. They have the beer garden to the left of the home bullpen. Yeah, I like that And then that it's ballpark. all their, like, bar. I think they wanted to keep all the degenerates kind of down, tucked in this one area, you know, where, where everybody's going to kind of go try to party and be loud. Yeah. And if you're going to try to do that, you know, why not have them do all their shit talking to the bullpen? I think it's – I don't know why every team doesn't make it as uncomfortable as possible to be in the visiting bullpen. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so we did a round table today. It's some pretty good stuff. If you guys haven't seen it, we had all the, the NL East writers talk about the season they're having some, uh, one player to look at the rest of the year to keep an eye on for people on opposing teams, fans that really maybe not know this guy and, uh, um, and a prediction on where your team would finish and all this. And I put in there. I put for where I think the team will finish. I put second with a caveat. I reluctantly did it. I didn't want to be a homer and say first. I said the Mets, but I also said, and we wrote this before Scherzer had his latest injury. I said, they're one injury away from that changing. Cause if DeGrom or Scherzer gets hurt, that changes the calculus to me. Those guys oh, need sure. to both be healthy for them to be. And they got, and, and also like I said, if the schedules were equal, I would, wouldn't even hesitate to pick the Braves, even with with a healthy DeGrom and Scherzer. I think the Braves are playing better right now. But the Mets' schedule is so much softer. So, um, But Scherzer, with Scherzer, depending on how long this, this thing is, how bad this thing is, um, you know, it's different. So I, I, I think all bets are off. I'm not going to be at all surprised if the Braves win this division. They're one game back now, and they're playing really well. And the starting pitching, especially with Odorizzi, I think the arm fatigue, that's not a big deal. I think it's, uh, you know, they took advantage of being able to bring up Elder to face the Marlins again. Elder handled him just like he did the last time. Odorizzi's had back-to-back really good starts. Uh, yeah. So, but, but the first four, I mean, 
we can't you can't overstate how impressive how impressive Spencer Strider's been. I mean, no. he right now is just no. I mean, he's made your your bullpen idea just kind of yeah. I'm not even talking a non option. You know what yeah. I mean? It's and it's not that you had a bad idea at the time. It's just no nobody. You don't know if the guy's gonna come and do this after and strike right. out sixteen. And it's like we can't we can't afford to not have this guy. He might be our number one. You know, it's, it's gonna like, be freed, but he's now it's like, do you start him? Where do you start him? Two or three? Yeah. You know what I mean in the playoffs. Yeah. Now it's gone from do you put him in the you know in the bullpen, let him be a multi-in guy. Well, I don't think that anymore because he's had those two starts since we had that idea. But um, I mean, right now I'd have him two behind uh, behind yeah. Max, and I'd have Cal Wright three. I would too. And I mean, as ridiculous as it seems, I mean, depending on what happens between now and then, if Wright keeps it going, maybe if he starts to show some fatigue or whatever, which he hasn't so far, then I wouldn't hesitate to put Charlie three. But uh, and then if you had to skip Charlie for that first round, you could do that. And man, how how big a luxury would it be if you went three games in that first series? If you don't win the the thing and you have to play the the wild card series, to have Charlie Morton starting game one for you in the division series? If you go three games in the division, I well, mean, the if anybody series. can handle that, you know, yeah, I yeah. Mean, and if you go two, done it. If you go two. If you win the thing in two, if you have to play a wild card series, you could have Kyle Wright and Charlie Morton as your first in your first two games in the division series, and and the, and Max Freed. I mean, you're set up really you, well with four. Then starters. you get Strider game four, you know, against there whoever they're throwing for. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Or bring them back on on. I'm not. I have to look at how how the thing works out, but uh, you might be able to bring Freed and Strider back for for. Uh, two and three, three and yeah. four. Yeah. So that it just changes everything when you have those four starters, especially with them eliminating that travel day in, in the second series and the world series. So that second travel day. Um, but uh, for the guy, the guy that picked a click or the guy to watch, I put Strider obviously, because I, I think most people know are well aware of him now after he struck out 16, but for fans, uh, you know, in other cities that have not seen this guy, you know, especially you go out to Seattle or Oakland, and they're going to see him for the first time. And I think they're going to be blown away like everybody else is the first time they see him at how good he is yeah. and how dominant. I mean, he's a different – this is a different animal, man. I mean, the Braves have had three Hall of Famers go through here. At one time, they had three Hall of Famers on the staff. None of them was quite like this guy, though. I mean, it's a totally. I'm not. I'm not comparing him to Smoltz or Maddox or Glavitt, 300 game winners, Hall of Famers. No, guy. no. I'm just saying, none of the them stuff. was the strikeout machine that this guy is. The strikeout dominance that this guy. None of those guys was that kind of pitcher. Smoltz was the closest. Name a starter that was. Exactly. You know, I mean, Degrom. Degrom yeah, could DeGrom. strike out 16. Degrom is, yeah, and there's been a few others that. You know, the dude with the White Sox right now, Cease, but... Uh, yeah, he can strike him out. But uh, like you said, I think uh, BMAC told you it's like Kimbrell for eight innings. That's a pretty good description of it, <laughs> what yeah. he was the other day, you know? I mean, that's yeah. what he was the other day. When you strike out two guys, when you average two strikeouts an inning, no, that's what you're talking about. That's what you're talking about. starting pitcher does, and he doesn't do it by nibbling. You know, I mean, that's why he struck... That, that was the point I was trying to make about his last start is that you didn't see swings you don't see from him. You, he gets the same swings every time he pitches. There's and never he, a time where it's like, oh, I might not have it today. 
either just walks a few guys or gets into deeper counts and misses. But if he's in the zone, he's going to strike out 12. Yeah. And he doesn't overexert. That's the amazing no. thing. No, I mean, it's it's the same. His start last time was very predictable if you were to predict him to throw a ton of strikes. <laughs> it's like his yeah. stuff is just so overwhelming that he's just got to get it in the zone. And, you know, to give him credit, he can throw high strikes with that pitch, with his oh, fastball. Yeah. And they I just mean, can't catch up to it. I was talking to a buddy. I went and stayed at a buddy's house, Mark Lowe, that played a long time in the big leagues, relief yep. pitcher. Um and we were talking about how when, you know, when we were coming up, you were taught to throw strikes to the bottom of the zone. And never once when the catcher told you to throw a high fastball, did you one time practice throwing it for a strike? Yeah. In your in your bullpen, you know, toward the end of your bullpen, you let the catcher call a few. They'd call a high strike and they put the glove up above by the batter's chest. Yeah. It was, it was, it was no, there was no competitiveness to it. It was strictly a chase pitch. You're putting it up there. If the hitter wants to swing, they swing. If they don't, you're just using it to set something else up. And the last five years, you've seen he he said he went he threw a bullpen. He went to Tampa, mm-hmm. and they said, "Look, if you hit this spot with your fastball, when you throw it here, the hitters swing and miss." But he only threw it there on accident. It was a miss pitch for him. Like he'd fly open and push it, and it'd wind up in that up and away spot. But he wasn't trying to do it. Hitters would swing and miss, and right. they said, "Let's go throw a bullpen." And we're just going to set up there for the whole bullpen. And you practice hitting that spot. He threw 30 pitches and hit it once. Because it's it's a pitch that when you're throwing your bullpen, when we were coming up, if the hitting coach or the pitching coach was watching and you threw that, they're like, get it down. Yeah. That's what you're going to hear. You never tried to hit the glove in either upper quadrant of the strike zone. And Strider does it all the time. And now he can do it. And Top I, of the it, zone. He can just dot up there. He can put yep. it on both sides. He can put it middle. And the, the beauty of it is when he does miss down, it's like it still has so much life on it that he gets away with it. Yeah. But yeah. he's able to play off that fastball at the top of the zone that he can throw for a strike. It's the same thing with like a breaking ball. When a guy has a nasty breaking ball and they can't throw it for a strike, yeah. the hitters eliminate it. As soon as you can spot a high fastball at 99 and they have to swing when they see it up, yeah, you yeah. can do anything you want. And then he'll, he'll hit the bottom of the zone with it and he'll hit the top of the zone with it. Yep. I mean, you get some ugly swings. He is like the enemy of the launch angle swing, man. This yep. guy. That launch angle swing does not work against this dude. No, it doesn't. <laughs> he's come along. He's had a perfect time the way he pitches. He's come along at a perfect time, too. Yep. And that's, you know, that's kind of what the whole launch angle thing was, was just hitters saying, all these pitchers are throwing these cutters, these sinkers. How do we stay inside these pitches and lift them yeah. over these shifts? And then now that you got the four seamers coming back, the curveballs coming back, and guys are throwing to that top angle of the zone, it's really hard to stay inside a pitch at the top of the zone. You pop it up, you foul it off, but you can't really do damage up there. And if they can throw it for strikes, you have to swing. So sometimes pitchers like him come along at the right time in the game. Yeah. You know, if he was pitching against the 2006 Angels and they were just ready to just pepper balls to left field. Right, right. They might piss him off and give him fits. But most teams now, they got – Deep swings, they're trying to catch the ball deep, they're trying to lift it. And you can't do that on a hundred with life it has. So it's just it's a great time for him to be yep. coming into this league. I mean, he could do some rare things right now because the game's not it takes a while for the game to change. If it's gonna change, it's gonna take a while. Oh, he's and, got a minute. 
and guys aren't going to change their swings and everything for one pitcher because there's nobody nope. else like him. <laughs> no, just, hey, it's a tough day today. Yeah, we got to face we'll this guy. we guy tomorrow. I'm yeah. going to strike out three times today, but when we come back tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's going to do some crazy things, I think, with strikeout numbers. Yep. It's And if he was going more innings, the, the thing is, the reason he won't get, like, any records, like bulk records, he might get rates, but records is because he's not going to throw 200 innings, 250 innings like guys did back in the day, you know. I mean, Smoltzik threw 230 innings and had 250 strikeouts, you know. Yeah. But this guy might throw 160 innings and have 250 strikeouts, you know. It'd be hilarious if somebody tried to tell him to pitch to contact. <laughs> I mean, with his fastball, yeah, and the just, only thing he could do is just purposely throw slower. And it's, yeah. it's a lot harder to, to throw strikes when you're at like an 80% effort than it is you know, 90, 95% yeah. effort closer to that top, the, the, the thing you practice the most, but it'd be funny if somebody was like, you know, criticizing him, you got a pitch to contact and he went out there and just threw the ball right down the middle. Every, every pitch and still got pop-ups and struck guys out. And imagine when you could put him one, two with him and free. Cause I think you yeah. do that in postseason. The, the, the difference in this left-hander mm-hmm. with this big old school curve who can also yep. hump it up in the mid upper nineties, but coming facing him one night and then facing Strider the next day, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and it it hurts your confidence. It it gets hitters thinking and tinkering and changing their swings when you face guys is tough. Yeah, especially if if that's that's why you're right that hitters aren't going to change their swings for one one pitcher because you face Strider and you do all this stuff to get on top of the ball, get on top of the ball, get on top of the ball. And you face Freed the next day, and he's got this late sink and late cut to his ball. Yeah. And you're just chopping it into the ground or swinging and miss or chasing pitches down. Yeah. Strider's like <laughs> facing a knuckleballer. <laughs> it's like, it's not going to be good. That, that's how I'd look at it if I was my team. I'd be like, oh, boys, just go battle today. Freed's getting all this soft contact, man, during games, and Strider's yep. like getting no contact. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, Mets, by the way, they're, they're, uh, their schedule, the winning percentage of their teams arrested away, according to Tankathon. I don't even know what the hell Tankathon is, but it sounds interesting. Is 422. And the next closest, Cardinals, 448. 422 the rest of the year. Their their uh their opponents. Um I I did you did you happen to see the uh quotes I the story I did on Freed the other day, the quotes from Charlie about Freed? Man, I thought they were, I thought. No, this was another. We talked about Charlie, what a, what a guy is in the clubhouse, and how much he's meant to the Braves the last couple of years. But man, I started talking to him before the game Sunday morning. I was talking to him, and as he's talking, I'm going, "Oh shit, these are great quotes." This guy is—he's just such a thoughtful guy and cares so much. <laughs> but he was talking about Freed. I was talking about how impressed he's been with Freed the last couple of years and what he's seen from him, and. He said, you know, I didn't get really get to see him pitch in 2020 when I went here, and that was a weird year anyway. And Freed goes, you know, 7-0 and with a 2-2-5 ERA, short season and all that, 60-game seasons. Yeah. But um, he was talking about him since then, what he's seen and talking, because he talks to, to Max all the time. He's gotten to know him really well. And about what Max has been through in his career, you know, and going through TJ surgery, missed two years, basically. A lot of people question him. You know, he was the former top prospect, first round or high first round and all this stuff. So he said, uh, you know, and then he got off to the slow start last year and he had a couple yeah. of nagging injuries and all that. And it was July in Philly. 
before he really took off. The last game of the season, uh, last game of July at New York is when he really started taking off. And, and but Matt, Matt, our, our Charlie was talking about him, and he said, "I remember sitting there in Philly in July, and him basically looking at me like, you know, he was searching for answers." And he said, yeah. "We had a lot of conversations last year, just kind of about what he was going doing with his delivery, his pitch mix, his arsenal." what he was really trying to do. And he said that went on for a good while into July. And then I think he made a couple of adjustments and he started to see like how the hitters were not quite on him. And then it started to build up. And from that point on, I don't think we talked pitching the rest of the year. This is Charlie talking. He said, because for that two month period, I think he was the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Max went from seven and seven and 17 starts through, through July last year. He was seven and zero with a one, four, six ERA and 11 starts in August and September. And then he had the, and then Charlie was talking about he got to make a bunch of starts in the postseason. He made the six. The one was great in Milwaukee. He had the one in L.A. where he actually pitched pretty well and got just a, a lot of con, a lot of uh, weak hits and all that. Yeah. And then he pitched well in the first one again in the World Series. Didn't get the results, but then he pitches that clincher in Game Six, and Charlie thought that's the kind of start that in your career can really be one that you you know you always go back to and all that. Oh yeah. Um. And he's, and he's just built on that last year. And this year, he's been like this the whole season. And, you know, he goes from – he goes on days when he doesn't have everything clicking on all cylinders, he can still pitch and keep you in a game now and get by. And that's what I told him. I said, that's what the good ones – our snicker was talking. He said, that's what the good ones do. The Hall of Famers that we had here yeah. didn't always feel great, but they could always get by even on a day when they didn't have their good stuff. And that's what Charlie – that's what uh, Max does now. But uh, Charlie was talking about him and said, uh, he said how proud he's been of him because he knows what he's been through personally and the and the, the questions that he, him questioning himself and all that and dealing with this mental stuff that he had to deal with and what he's become now. He's talking about how proud he's been of, of Max. And, uh, and he said, you know, he's talking about what we talked about. He's going to be 30, 31 years old when he goes to free agency. So he's really going to have one chance to really get a good, a nice contract, whether that's a free agent with another team or re-signing with the Braves. And um, and and Charlie was just saying how I'm going to be a big fan of his after I leave, you know, and after I retire, I'm going to be a big fan of his because what I know he's gone through and what he's become. And I just hope, you know, he said he's in position to really do what he, whatever he wants with his career the next six, seven, eight years. You know, that would put him up in his mid, late 30s. And he thinks Max will be that kind of pitcher that can do that. But uh, to hear Charlie talk about him, he, he you can see he cares about him like he's a little brother, you know? Yeah. And he's talked to him so much, you know, personal, all the stuff he's been through and all that. And people don't realize how close these guys get, especially pitchers who, like, on days when they're not pitching, they're both sitting yep. beside each other and talking a whole game. Are you bullpen guys talking the whole game out in the bullpen? I mean, you get to you get to spend more time with your teammates than your family. Yeah. You know, because when you're in town, yeah, you go home, you get home at 11 o'clock at night and say hi to your wife. Kids are asleep. You go to sleep. You wake up the next morning, maybe take the kids to school or do whatever you're doing. You know, for me, we didn't, I didn't do that, but the guys that are living locally, but still you're going to the field at noon and then you're spending yeah. from 1230 until about 1030 at night with these guys. And these are your most alert, awake you know, hours that you're actually able to bond with people. When you're home, you're doing all your chores and getting all right. your crap done for the day. There's not a lot of time to really spend. And then you go on the road. And on the road, you're spending zero time with your family. 
So it's, it's when yeah. people say like this becomes a family, it really is, you know, you're spending more time with these people than your own spouse. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie was talking about how, um, last year was such a big deal for him because you're dealing, he said, you're dealing with stuff that determines the trajectory of your career yeah. where he is, where he is in his career. Last year was so important how you're discussed, how he's entered the arbitration system, the money that he's making, all that's being discussed. You know, teams are deciding, is this a guy we keep going with and all this? So he said that was such a huge year for him last year and to do what he did in the postseason. He said, now we're talking about how he's got two more years where he's under team control. And we're talking about a guy entering free agency at 31. And so to see him do what he did last year was huge. I'm not going to say it was a 180 because there were games early in the year where he was pitching really well, but there were games where things didn't go his way. So it was kind of up and down. So then he ended up such a strong way the last few months. Um, and, Cause I had asked him the question I'd started with Charlie was, has he got the ingredients now of a truly elite pitcher? Yeah. And Charlie, this was his long rant response to that. But he said, uh, he said, watching Max to me is no different. It's not much different than watching Sandy. Sandy sits 98, 99. Max doesn't get Max's heater. He can get it up there in mid nineties, upper nineties, but they're so similar in that Sandy is a guy that, um, that, that they both learned to pitch and they got their careers really took off. But he said, Max, I guess some of the question is, has he done it? Have you done it for four, five, six, seven years? Are you going to be the next Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander? Or is this going to be a, like, hey, you had a few good years and everybody's talking about you and everything's going really well. And you disappear. Or is it going to be the kind of thing where you're talking about your legacy in the game? Is that I yeah. certainly think Max has all the tools to do whatever he wants to do over the next seven, eight, nine years. So I'm rooting for him and I'm going to be a fan when I'm, of him when I'm gone. And uh, then he said, uh, I'm really proud of him because I think he's dealt with some of the doubts he's had about himself. Some of the questions he's had about himself, he's dealt with. And I think that's the thing. It's not just as simple as, Hey, here's a guy with good stuff, former first rounder. You know, there's been some things that he's had to deal with. He's faced it. And I think he's proven to a lot of people wrong. I think that's more what I admire about Max is that he's, and he, and he's right there at that part of the journey for him now, which is cool for me to be a part of. He said he hasn't cemented his legacy, and it's like he's trying to figure it out. It's not like he's trying to figure it out now. We're kind of at that sweet spot, he said, where he's going to determine that for himself. Yeah. You know, he's, he's in total at that point. now. He's right. learned what he needs to do, and it's just going to – it's nice when you don't have to figure it out anymore. He's at the point where he knows what he has to do to succeed. Just go repeat it, you know, and don't overthink it, and it's yeah. going to be in his control. Charlie said it's really cool to be part of that. You know, Charlie at his point in his career, at the very end of it, but to see a young guy be at that point of his career where he could become. Yeah. A great one. Yeah. I I hope they, I hope, because I talking to Charlie just off the record, I'm not, I think he's going to come back for a year. As much as he loves being around his family, he hates being away from his kids, you know, and he's not going to move them to Atlanta there in Tampa, but he can at least be with them spring training if he pitches for the Braves or another team down there. But, He's doing, he's pitch, still pitching so well. The stuff's still so good. And, you know, if a team's going to pay him, you know, 15 mil, 10 million, whatever it is next year, and he could do it for another year, I, I think he's going to have a hard time walking away from that for one more year. If he would sign for like 10, 12 million or something, I think the Braves should do it because I think he's in, invaluable with their young pitchers. I think what he's done has been huge for those guys. 
I wonder how you could turn that down. I'm with you, but <laughs> it's so much money, you know, when you, when, and he seems to be a guy with the perspective of how you're never going to make that again. But at the same time, he also seems like a guy to me that could walk away from 40. You yeah. know, just depend. I don't think it's, I think it just depend on how he felt and what he wanted to do. I think if it meant going to another team, especially not a team that yeah. doesn't train down there, I think he would walk away from it. The family thing is that important to him. But there is the convenience of being able to live at home during spring training, go home on every off day, you know, flight, make it home real quick, yep. which he does. Um, so I think he would come back to the Braves, but I think it's very limited. Tampa, he'd go there, you know, but I don't think Tampa can pay him, you know, enough to make it worth his while. But uh, I, I just think the Braves, with what they've got coming back, with Freed, Wright, Strider, and then you add one more of the young guys, God, you put those guys with Charlie. With Charlie. And, man, what a rotation you're looking at next year. Well, you know, honestly, it's you couldn't get a better mentor for your pitching no. staff either. And if he's producing. Right, still producing. He's not just like, uh, you know, when they had the lefty that really helped Max, but he didn't pitch for him at all. You know, he only made one start and they paid him $18 yeah. million. Dollars, but he yeah. helped Max that much. But Charlie's still producing, you know, yeah. at a high level. Yeah. So I would I would try to bring him back. It'll be I mean, interesting. It's tough for Charlie because I, I watch him and I think one of these years, <laughs> it's just not going to, you know, like that's going to right, be Right, right. And I thought it was going to be this year when he yeah. started out. But he was still throwing mid-90s with that great curveball. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I think the difference will be his heart won't be in it. You know, right. it, and his it, heart's be still year, in it right now. Yeah, there'll be a year where he starts off like this and his heart's just not in it. And that's when you don't get out of it. When, when you're just – emotionally or mentally over it and you start off like that and he just don't have the fight and the grind and the the ability to dig deep and find that extra one two ten percent right. effort that really puts you back over the top to where you can figure out your season and uh, I, there'll be a season if he keeps pushing it what i mean if he's yeah. throwing like this it might be when he's 43 years old but there's going to be a time where that fire dies and he'll be in June, and it, he might just walk away. He might as long as he can, as long as he can spin that ball, you know, yeah. and throw in the mid nineties, he can still be a really good pitcher. And the Braves next year, with uh, with Max Strider and Kyle Wright, they wouldn't need him to be more than a fourth or fifth, you know. Yeah. Pay him. and if and maybe it's ten million, maybe it's not even fifteen, maybe it's ten. He's made twenty the last two, you know. It's not like he needs the money. Ten might be more than enough for him. Who knows? Yeah. So. But that he's worth that just to be a four starter and a mentor and it's still a, a really good. So it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, something to think about the soft season. But he's just another one of those guys. The culture, what he does in that clubhouse, God, he's huge, man. I mean, Max is a dollar figure on it, right? I mean, Max is established now. He's the ace of the team. But uh, what Charlie brings is is really it's invaluable. So, hey, last thing, uh, last thing is with uh, with Diaz doing. Edwin Diaz doing his thing now and it's just gone viral and it's like the talk of baseball with the trumpets, the the song, which is just incredible, man. What, what as a, as a relief pitcher, those were kind of taken off when you were there. There were some big ones like uh, Hell's Bells and Inner Sandman and all that. Which one is the coolest one of you? Have you, have you seen enough of his that Diaz to me, Dude, it's the coolest one they've ever had to me. I love this thing that they're doing. It's just awesome. <laughs> it's the best thing going. <laughs> it is awesome. I mean, it's yeah. awesome. 
It's incredible. And, and it's the video just the way of him he jogs out to it, the right. whole thing. And the video of I him mean, up there doing it too while he's doing this, you know? But if you think about that, that, that video has made its way to non-baseball fans. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there, there's people that are basketball fans or tennis fans, and they're like, this is the coolest thing I've seen. And, the song and they don't even so know what's catchy. about to happen or how dominant he is or how good he is. They just see the crowd going crazy. And this, I, I, where's Diaz from? Is he from Puerto Rico? I think he's Puerto Rican. Yeah. So they, they see this Puerto Rican dude just jogging out to this awesome song with the trumpet. And it's just, a, it's a sick setup. You can't beat it. And then they bring the guy, he's Australian. I, yeah. I would have never known he was Australian. He comes and does it live the other day. Yeah. And Diaz didn't get in the game the first day. So the guy stayed and came back out the second. And he did it just pitch perfect live. It was just tremendous. The guy's down there in a black yeah, mesh jersey with a black hat on. It was uh I know Brace fans probably get tired of it because he's with the with the rival, but this is tremendous. You know. Well, I'll tell you what else is it has to be it can't be a pretty good closer. Oh, it yeah. has and to it, be. And he's, and he's the best closer in baseball this year, by yeah, far. That, that's the only way this is as big as it is. Because yeah. it can't be. I mean, imagine Will Smith last year running out to this thing. Right. You right. know, and it's like you got to come in and it's got to be 100%. You're getting it done. It has to be shocking when, when everything falls apart and you right. don't get it done. Because the but, crowd gets so jacked. They're all dancing yeah. to it. They're all doing the motions of trumpet. Yeah. So then if you don't come out, if you like walk the first guy or give up a hit, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, that sucked. But if you come yeah. out and you're just dominant, you're striking yeah. out everybody. I mean, he's striking out people at a higher rate than Strider is, for God's sakes. Yeah, but that's why they. Issue. That's why it's so magical, too, is because the crowd's celebrating like this game's right. over. We just won. This dude does not let us go down. They're not nervous at all. Right. They're just celebrating the win. They early. hear that trumpets and it's like, we won. That's yep. the way they feel, you know? Yeah. And that's why it's the best thing going in baseball because he, one of the guys that's having the best seasons, one of the best closers in the game, matched up with a perfect song in a city that's going to jump on the ride. And the Braves are doing some superb trolling too, man. Yeah. Contreras, that's pretty ballsy to have that as your walk up music, knowing when that did he pick that. Like midseason, it was like it, it, it was it was it had already gone viral. What Diaz was doing, it. yeah. So yeah, midseason, I'm using that too. I like that song. And one time he hit a home run against the Mets. They played it as he's circling the bases. But the best was the other day. They're showing the Mets game during the rain delay Sunday. We had a, we had an almost two hour rain delay. They're showing the Nationals beat the Mets. The last five innings they showed on the video board at Braves at Truist Park. After it's over, they're playing that song at Truist Park. <laughs> so it's great trolling, but it, but it, the, but the Mets though they they've just didn't struck gold with this thing. Yeah. To me, because everybody everybody puts Mariano Rivera in her Sandman at number one, which I put it still at number two because it's still terrific. But that's because Mariano was so incredible, you know. Yeah, and, and it was cool. He didn't even the pick old, the song. I don't think. Right. So. That to me is a you know is a border. It's a number two probably, but to me the one that I put that, that that was right up there with it, Brian Wilson in that brief moment in time when oh, he was yeah. so good with San Francisco. It was only about two years probably, right? Yeah. But when they played jump around out there, House mm-hmm. of Pain jump around it was another one of those where the energy in the ballpark was completely off shifted the charts, yeah. and yeah. that place was packed every game back then. Giants were in the middle of their dynasty or. And the ballpark atmosphere, they do a great job in San Francisco. It was really loud. They had this great video to go perfectly with it, syncopated with yep. it, and uh, in sync with it. And 
They show these close-ups of Brian Wilson's face at certain parts of the song and a whole crowd singing it and everything. It was awesome. It's kind yeah. of like Matt at Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin plays it in football for the fourth quarter now. That song is terrific. And so that was the other one that really stood out to me. I mean, to me, that the, the song's got to be great for it to have that energy. And those yep. two songs do, but Jump Around still has that feel to it. It's got to match the picture, too. You know, it's good. like right. Diaz jogs to the beat. Oh, yeah. Well, does his you know? shoulders, that thing he does with his yeah. shoulders, yeah. is really cool. It's really that's, cool. I, I think every team needs to, well, first of all, you've got to get a closer that's that lights out, or you can't right. even try it. But that type of stuff, I mean, it, it's, like I said, it's it's reached people outside of baseball are watching this, like, yeah. holy shit, what's going on? Then they're going to turn on the game, like, I want to watch this guy pitch, what's all the fuss about? Right. And maybe they appreciate it, maybe they don't, but they're going to see him punch out, too. And with social and, media today, you can see all those videos. You couldn't use to see that stuff. Yeah. You, see it. you couldn't just call it up, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other one I put up there really close, Kenley at his peak in L.A. California Love. California Love. And you know how loud that Dodger sound yes. system has been for the last, like, eight years or whatever. Just pile of speakers. They're playing at a concert level. And they've, they've, mm-hmm. got a new, they've got a new system, I'm sure, with the entertainment industry out there. It's state-of-the-art, so it can play even louder. But back then... They played it so loud the speakers were cracking. It was like at a, it was like cracking. The speakers couldn't even handle it. Yeah. But Kidley with his like six foot five, two hundred sixty pounds running in to California Love, another yeah. terrific song. Yeah. You know, Tupac and Dre. It's a gr- all time great song. So that place, Dodger Stadium, everybody's singing California Love. That was really cool. Yeah. That was really cool. There's not been many of them that are that cool. To me, I well, put that one right so up there. so many pictures. Like, the thing Kenley did there was he embraced where he was playing. Yeah. There's and he's so many it. pitchers that come in and they want to do their own thing. Yeah. It's like it just, you know, you're coming out to George Strait in the, Seattle right. or something like that, right? right? And it's, it just doesn't match. And I thought it was great when Alex suggested to Kenley to do Welcome to Atlanta when he came here, and he's done it, and it's great. Kenley's yeah. not the same pitcher he was in L.A., but he's pretty damn good still when he's on a roll. And him, Welcome to Atlanta sounds, it's the best they've ha- ever had here in Atlanta. Yeah. Because it's loud and it's a great song, another great song. And they do the whole thing and the whole, the people are doing the, the, the uh, with their uh, phones, they're doing the, you know, the chop with their phones, you know, syncope. It, it's really cool. So that's also really, really far up there. He's just not the dominant pitcher that he was then, but he's still pretty damn yeah. good. And then the other one I really loved was Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells. Yeah, it's a little sick. different because Trevor wasn't the dominant strikeout pitcher. He was a changeup guy and all that. But the Hell's Bells, where they turn off the – because not many people were doing that stuff back then. They turn off the, the, the yeah. lights, and the scoreboard would go out at the new ballpark there, and they'd play mm-hmm. Hell's Bells. So that was pretty damn cool. Now, if he'd have been as dominant as, say, Diaz, and they did that, that would be even better. But yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. The, the thing Stadium's got to understand, too, is like – you know, I mean, maybe it's louder in the stands, but down the field, the how loud they play that music at Dodger Stadium. Oh, I mean, it hits you deep. It, yeah. it wakes you up. So, yeah. a lot of stadiums they'll have this closer come in and they put the volume at like oh, thirty-five out of a hundred. I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? You gotta yeah. crank it. it gotta you gotta get. You have to if if you're not pissing a few people off with how loud it is, it's yeah. not loud enough for yeah. the other ninety-eight percent in the park. 
And, and the other reason that San Diego just wasn't as formidable as those other ones is because the crowd was so laid back compared to those yeah. other places. Yeah. Rarely did we play in front of packed houses when the when the Braves would go out there. Rarely did they play in front of packed houses. They do now. They're a lot better yeah. crowds. I don't know how they got that because people ask me about that park all the time. Like, I don't know because I've never seen it like that. Right. They're finally. It's only been the last two years. Last yeah. year, those games against the Dodgers early in the season when they had Tatis playing and Machado mm-hmm. playing. And they were giving the Dodgers hell. That's when yep. they really built the atmosphere that they've had now. So they've been good. It's the only times I've ever been out there where they've had great atmosphere, except back in the day at the old stadium when they went to the LCS that year. They were they had you know the old football stadium, and that was yeah. when they had fifty thousand people packed in there. But at the new ballpark, not until the last two years have they had a good atmosphere, loud, crazy yeah. energy. It's I never laid was back, saw that that laid the back new park I've never seen. You know, I mean, we went there every year when I was with Atlanta. Yeah. And I went there with Oakland, too. And I never once felt like. Yeah. Just whatever. You know, people ask me what the stadium's right. like. I'm like, it's cool. But it feels like half the people were just walking by. Right. And they could see through Enjoy the Enjoy the like, weather. They, let's go check out a ball game. You know, yeah, I mean, sit it, didn't, back. it didn't feel like anybody made plans to be there. They were just kind of right. straggling that's, through. That's finally changed now. We'll see if they can continue it because they're going to have to, you know, keep being good. But they've spent mm-hmm. the money to do it. But, yeah, it's finally – I didn't think it was capable of it there with that atmosphere, that city. Oh, after the Soto trade. <laughs> right, right, right. So, anyway, those are the ones that I've liked the most. And uh, But the, the uh, just the Diaz thing, man. You know, it really took off where the Braves were there. I didn't re- realize this until he was being interviewed on MLB Network today. And he said, yeah, we when they b- took four out of five from the Braves, that's when it really went viral. They had, they had been doing it, but it, they had a packed house. They won four out of five, so he pitched in at least three of those games. I hadn't even heard it, and I, I saw a video on Twitter of it. That's when, I, that's when I discovered it. I hadn't heard a thing about it. I hadn't really seen him come into the game. And then I saw a video on Twitter of it. I downloaded that song, and I was just listening to it to – just put it on my iPod. I mean, it's threw the shit on. My four-year-old comes in the room, yeah. loses his mind. It's his new favorite yeah. song. He wants yeah. me to put it on every single day for him. You know, there's just something catchy about it. I had not seen it either because this was early in the season when the Braves were out there. So the first time they played it, I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. You know? Yep. And the whole video with him up there doing it, I'm just like, the whole thing was like, I tried to catch it on my, my phone, but it was, uh, it was too late. But yeah, it, I, I'm not surprised at all that it's taken off just because it's so cool. But uh, the Braves want to hear that as infrequently as possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, maybe but they, they want to hear don't go it there again. When, they don't go there again this year. So, and the, the only three games left against them are here. And and uh, the Braves have had some incredible crowds, and they will sell out all three of those. They they've got like 36 sellouts this year, dude. They're fourth in attendance in the majors, and they're only like 50 or so people a game behind the Yankees. They're going to catch the Yankees, probably. Can you that's tell amazing. me that's not more profitable than a TV deal and revenue sharing money? Well, when you combine the battery, they're uh, getting pretty close yeah, yeah. now because they're raking in the dough at the battery. So between the two of them, it offsets a lot of that. And the, and the TV deal has been renegotiated a couple of times. It's no longer terrible. It's kind of middle of the road now. So between that and what they're raking in at the battery the last two be years, the battery. they're raking it in at the battery. Just because they get a percentage of everything there from yeah. rent to the bars to the restaurants, everything. So I'm trying. Parking. I guess I'm I'm trying to put together because it seemed like teams really shied away from caring about attendance for a bit, right? 
once all that TV money started flowing through the game, right. that's where teams kind of went crazy. That's where spending. the real money was, yeah. But, but they the Braves are selling out now, and they're using those sellouts as a reason of this is why we're spending. So right. I'm kind of trying to figure out what the shift is. Football, it's it's TV money. It's because obviously they don't play enough games for the tennis right. to really matter that much. But baseball, when you're playing 81 games and you're selling out, when you're getting 40,000, 38,000 people yeah. there, the parking, the concessions, people spend so much money when they're there. And then they're, and then now with the battery next door, used to at the old place, they park their car, go in, leave, walk, get in their car and go. This place, they come hours before the game. They have dinner. They Start have drinks. They, and then they hang out for a while, let traffic die. They go over and drink more, whatever they do. You know, It's just different now. That was really smart. I hated when they moved out to the Burbs because I like yeah. downtown ballparks. But it was a smart business move see i need to go but i need to come back out to it's a great atmosphere and see it because it really is a they, good were, atmosphere. they were building it in 16 and 17 when i was ever we sucked man you, you know? should see it now man especially i bet it's badass it is during the postseason last year they had literally had to shut it down there were too many people they could not let any more people in <laughs> it's packed it's just packed they have like a plaza over there the cardinals have mimicked them the cardinals did the same thing next to their place and they have a right. plaza where they have a big video screen and people that don't go in a game can sit out there and watch it on the video board hear the crowd noise and make yeah. some noise themselves yeah, yeah. That's cool. it's right next door yeah it's like they're inside yeah so and all the bars have outdoor seating and everything rooftop and all that it's a good atmosphere so i gotta check anyway. it out all right well we'll do this again at the uh at the end of the week and we'll see if the Braves can uh, catch the Mets. They got them really close. All right. Been a hell of a year so far. 755 is real. We are out. Mm-hmm.